Let's pray. Father, now we come to you through the blood of Jesus who died for us and gave his life for us so that we might have new life in you, Heavenly Father. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. And we thank you for salvation in Jesus. We thank you for illumination from Jesus because you sealed us with your Holy Spirit so that we can read your word and receive your word as your very words to us and then respond to your word by faith and with obedience. And Heavenly Father, we are now thrusting all of our unbelief at you and saying, take away all of our unbelief and fill us with faith. Take away all of our stubborn resistance and love of sin and absolutely destroy that. Create in us a greater desire to be pleasing to God than to be pleasing to ourselves or to that old, those old fleshly patterns of sin that we have in our lives. Heavenly Father, help us to leave a place where we are and go to the place that you want us to be in our lives. God, get us ready for powerful partnership in the kingdom of God, even as you teach it to us here this morning. Let not anyone here walk out the same, anyone listening on the podcast, to continue to be the same person. But Father, build in us a strong sense of holy calling to partnership by your Spirit to be your witnesses here upon this earth. And Holy Spirit, now do your work also in this room where we would ask that whatever the preparation is for each individual here, that you would speak and tell us exactly what needs work, what needs preparation in our lives. Oh God, would we humble ourselves? Would we humble ourselves here this morning? Would we really commit ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you? Will we no longer conform to the patterns of this world telling ourselves what is safe, what we do in secret, instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds, be convinced in our minds and all the way down to our hearts that Jesus has staked a holy claim upon our lives and a holy claim upon our purpose. Would you fill us with rich identity, with rich desire, passion to do your work? God, make God-pleasers in the room this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Elise, I just took five minutes of my preaching time to pray, so I'll move quickly. This is my friend Elise. She's cool, and uh, she races remote control cars, and I've watched her race them, and she's the best in her age category at it. Um, but she also loves the Lord, and she has the great honor of being our reader of Scripture here this morning in Acts chapter 1, verses 12, that says 11 up there, verses 12 to 26, out of reverence for God's Word, His Holy Word. Let's stand and receive it together. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zelot and Judas the son of James. And these with one record accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of 
persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide. Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and, all, and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now the man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May this camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. Let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Jerusalem, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was now, who was also called Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and said, "You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place." And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Hey, this is God's word. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. God bless you, Elise. Thank you. You were wonderful. Who's ready to receive God's word here this morning? Um, I am, oh, I'm just shivering with excitement about what God's word has to say this morning. We aren't going to cover a whole lot of that second section, but we are going to summarize it um, in seeing their obedience and their desire to please God by doing things to get ready uh, to be used by God. If you knew that God wanted to do something through you, and you know that would require radical obedience, trust, and sacrifice. You knew that it would turn your life upside down, and you said yes to it, what would you do to get ready? What would you do to get ready? My wife and I, we had a conversation this week, and it was just, you know, just again, being in the Word of God and, and, and hearing things, and I start talking, and then she starts talking, and she comes from her rich perspective of, of knowing a ton about Israel and a ton about the Old Testament, and, and I come from my perspective of, of, of seminary, and we meet somewhere in between there, and it still all comes down to trust and obey, for there's no better way. And it comes back down to just having this sincere, just, just rich desire inside of you to just please God. And so I said to her, I said, you know what? What every Christian ought to be asked at least once a month is if God wanted to send you to Uganda in 30 days, would you go? If God wanted to send you to a place that you weren't planning to go, that you would never have wanted to go, you wouldn't have picked it out of your top 10,000 places to vacation, but you knew God wanted you to go there, would you go? 
If there's a work that God called you to do right here in your mission field, right here in your Jerusalem, not in your Judea, not in your Samaria, not in your ends of the earth, would you get ready for that? If God called you to something that, that required obedience, trust, and submission to him, it was going to turn your life upside down. It was going to change your calendar. It was going to change your television watching. It was going to change your cell phone use. It was going to change even the circles that you walked in. It was going to change your fellowship. It was going to change your training. It was going to change your prayer life. It was going to change your study life. It was going to change all the risks that you take. No longer will your biggest risk be kayaking on, on, in a, in in a river somewhere, but your greatest risk might be approaching someone else with the gospel, would you do it? Would you do it? Here's what we learned last week. Jesus said, excuse me, nearly lost it there. Jesus said, I'm going to give you my spirit, my spirit of power, and I'm going to use you as my witnesses. He didn't say, here's an option for you. Here's what you could do. Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do. And remember, that was also couched in the first half of this chapter with discussion about the kingdom of God. Jesus so taught them about the kingdom of God that finally, at the very least, that these apostles, these disciples, we don't, it, it seems like it's 120 because they're the ones that are counted in this section, but we know it was at least 500 that Jesus met with during those 40 days after he was resurrected before he ascended. But Jesus taught them about the kingdom of God enough that they finally understood something that they didn't get before, that this kingdom of God, the way that it advances was that the king would come and die for the sins of the world, and they raised from the dead, and included in that ascend back to his father in heaven so that his spirit would be sent down to earth to be placed in individuals like you and me, sealed inside of us so that God could use us. They finally, at the very least, got that. They still didn't know how all of that was going to happen, but they knew something was going to happen. And so they walked with the faith necessary to get ready for the next thing that was going to happen. God is 5, 10, 20, 30 steps ahead of you, and he will always be ahead of you. The only way to even keep up with him is to do so by faith. And so here's what goes on here. Jesus leaves, the apostles get ready. Jesus leaves the apostles get ready. It says they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James... All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts, Luke, our historian here, is making certain that we understand that this is done in complete community. There are men, there are women there. The first ones to witness to the resurrection are all there. They're in one accord together. How it was that they were all in a Honda, we don't know, but they were in one accord together. You didn't get that joke, you'll get it later. Uh, they were devoting themselves together to prayer. All right? And how did this happen when they went back to Jerusalem? What do, we, what do we know about the content of what's going on in their hearts? You would have to flip back to Luke 24. I'm going to put it on the screen for you to find out 
their response. Remember the, the times that Jesus told in and, and, and the Gospels? He told his disciples, hey, look, it's about time for the Son of Man to go be betrayed into the hands of evil men and to be lifted up and crucified and die. And, and they all went, no, don't do that. Remember that? Remember those times that Jesus said that? Well, this time after explaining the kingdom of God to them, and explaining that, that, that a significant event in the kingdom of God is the king coming and dying for the sins of the world. It says he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, and the word blessed there actually means to give God praise for or to offer up praise for. Jesus, in continuation with that prayer that we studied months ago in John 17, when he was praying for his disciples and all who would come after them, that they would be one with Christ so that they could be one with the Father as Christ is with the Father. Jesus is celebrating the fact that these are people that God can use. He's celebrating that. And so he says, while he blessed them, he's offering them up to God in praise for what God's going to do for them. He's also offering up praise directly to God for them because he received them and he offered himself to them. And it says, and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great what, church? Joy, with great joy. There's been a change. They were very anxious about these things that Jesus was saying, especially every time he gets near Jerusalem, he keeps talking about dying. And now they're returning to Jerusalem with great joy. Jesus left, and they returned with great joy. They were excited about what was next. Look again to verse 50. He led them. He led them. When we were over in Israel back in January of this year, I was led through Hezekiah's tunnel. There were 40 of us that actually went through Hezekiah's tunnel, and some of them turned on their cell phone flashlights, and the leader talked to us the whole way through that. That is a very different experience going through this narrow passage where you basically only have 29 or 30 inches across that you can walk through with water up to your thighs as you're walking through this freezing cold water. And, and, and fortunately, being five foot seven, it was real easy to walk and never have to bend my head or anything. But many people bending down to work their way through that tunnel. Much easier to do that being led. Being led. And now the great leadership of their lives. The great leader of their lives is transitioning. They won't lose leadership, but it'll be a very different type of leadership. Someone inside of them, Jesus living in them and through them, where he said in, again in the Gospel of John, the Spirit will be with you and will be in you, is going to become their leader. And they're excited about that. This was the last place that, that, was, that was led by Jesus on this earth. The last place, he takes them right back toward Bethany, which is just, just barely east of the Mount of Olives, two to three miles away uh, from the Lion's Gate of Jerusalem. The rest of the leading is going to be completely invisible and supernatural leading that's going to come as we turn the corner into Acts chapter 2 next week. And we study the first 13 verses there. What an exciting Sunday it's going to be. Come back and see this transition that occurs with the Holy Spirit coming down in tongues of fire upon those first followers of Jesus Christ. There was a man 
that I watched uh, with my daughter. We enjoy this uh, show called Castaways, and very few television shows that you can enjoy, but uh, this one uh, doesn't have any innuendo. It's, it's, a, it's a clean show. It's called Castaways, and we kind of stumbled upon it late um, this summer and, and started watching it. And it's about these people that have been dropped off on this series of islands. Their stuff is scattered everywhere. There's 12 of them, and they can partner up if they want to, if they find each other, or they can stay alone. But the whole goal is, is, just, is to remain there until the rescue team comes and gets you, or you can just quit. And just quit. If you quit, you have no idea. We don't even know what the prize is, if there is a prize or what. But it has um, a bit of a, a sense of journey to it, a sense of, uh, of struggle with it, and they, they share the backstories of some of the people. And one of the people that they share the backstory with is the Special Form- Forces Army Ranger that goes and actually rescues teenage prostitutes from human trafficking. He's a part of this international coalition that goes in to these impoverished areas and pulls these women out. Now, human trafficking is is a lot more than just sex trafficking. It's a lot of things, but that was the area that, that he works in. This guy has a transcendent purpose, a real mission in life with his job to rescue people. And yet, after 17 days on this island... He went to the two people that he was partnered with, and he said, look, you guys, I can tell that you want to stay uh, and struggle through this some more because you have a transcendent purpose for being here. There's a quest that you are on, but I don't have a purpose bigger than me for being here. My purpose that's bigger bigger for me than being here is going back home to be reconciled with my daughter. And then they panned then to him sitting down with his pastor and them studying the Bible together on ABC Network. They do this 45-second clip, clip of his pastor teaching him and discipling him into what it means to be a follower, a true disciple and follower of Jesus Christ and what brokenness that it, that, that it requires. This man said, my great purpose, my transcendent desire, the thing that is bigger than me is to leave here and to go and get reconciled with my daughter that I've been estranged from. Jesus is giving all who come after him, all that follow him, the greatest transcendent purpose of all, to be kingdom-oriented, to be gospel-centered, to be ambassadors of the greatest global takeover that will ever occur, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have that sense this morning as you listen? Do you, do you, do you resonate with that as an, even just an idea for you that God through his spirit wants to empower you to be his witness, that there is something that he wants to prepare you for as he was getting these disciples ready as well. And it says up there that he parted or he departed is the word in the Greek. It's the, it's the word deistami, and it means to separate from. Jesus is literally intentionally and purposely separating himself from them in what you would think is a sad moment but isn't. It's a glorious moment because he had explained to them that greater things would they do because he was leaving to give them that eternal purpose, to give them that greater than life identity and purpose. Because he said in John 14, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. It's amazing when you are 
still a parent, but yet your kids have grown all through all of those kids' sports leagues and all that, and then you go out just to support some of the kids in your church and, and to watch them play soccer. I went out this Saturday, and um, I watched a few uh, games and cheered on some of um, uh, the kids in our families in our church, and um, I had no skin in the game whatsoever. I was just an observer, just an observer. I, did, I didn't have to tell Avery what to do, Cricket what to do, um, what's my third son, my son Wesley what to do. <laughs> this, that happens to me a lot. That's not, yeah, yeah, whoever's third in the lineup usually, uh, I forget. But, um, but I didn't have to tell any of them what to do. I wasn't coaching. I was not refereeing. I was not umpiring. I was just there to go, come on now, you can do it. You can do it, Right? And so I started to listen because I'm standing on the sidelines. And you, can you imagine the number of parents that are vicariously living through their children, literally giving step-by-step instructions through their mouths the entire time? No, kick it to the outside. No, take it down the line. Get in front of him. Stop that ball. Good, good, good. Keep it up. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. And I'm thinking if the kid is actually listening, he's mentally exhausted just trying to follow all, that it, all the instruction that is being given. And I said to myself, of course, I was never like that. (laughs) My kids still tease me. My 23-year-old, my 21-year-old still tease me at the table every once in a while. And they go back into when dad was our coach mode. And they just pound on the table and go, clear it, clear the ball, get the ball out of the box, get it out. Man, we seem to think we were very good at living through other people. when your real purpose in life is for Jesus to live through you. This is what, this is why he separates. This is why he goes to be with them. God's kingdom purpose is for Jesus to live through us and using Christ followers to witness is as much a glorious part of God's plan, okay? You can challenge my theology, go and look up some people, make a few phone calls, call John MacArthur or John Piper if you want to, but your part in this kingdom advancement is as glorious as anything that Jesus did, even more, he said so. He said so. This isn't a sad moment. It's a glorious moment to live out God's kingdom purpose for Jesus who came, who died, and rose again and ascended to heaven. If you loved me, he said, you would have rejoiced that I am going to my father because my father is greater than I. They knew that following Jesus would lead to big changes. And are you there yet? Are you at the big changes? I'm there I'm there. I'm there for, I'm I'm ready for a new demand. I'm ready for a new challenge. I'm ready for a new sacrifice. Do you have that gospel-centered life that has given permission to God to disrupt everything? Literally, if God were to speak to you here in the next five minutes and change everything about what you're doing, your calendar, your choices, everything, would you respond because Jesus has just explained that the, king, the kingdom to these disciples, and he had explained how the kingdom had come through his death and through his resurrection from the grave. And now, as the king of this kingdom, his mission was going to continue through them. And Luke teaches that the disciples rejoiced and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, excited, 
excited about what would happen. It says they returned to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room. All these in one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What did they do? They obeyed Christ's commands. They obeyed. What they were told to do, they did. They didn't come up with their own agenda or their own plan. They obeyed Christ's commands. They went back to Jerusalem. These people who did not live, by the way, in Jerusalem, most of them were from Galilee or from other regions. They went to an upper room. They, they huddled together as well. We cannot get more simple than this. Our faith, our faith is about obeying Jesus. That's what our faith is. It's about obeying Jesus. It's not about being a fan of Jesus. It's not about being associated by Jesus. It's about being under Jesus. It's about being under a king and being devoted to that king. They obeyed Christ's commands. They did exactly as they were instructed. Are you that individual that wakes up each morning and says, God, I'm ready to obey. What do you want from me? Second of all, they united in prayer. They united in prayer. It says that they came together completely in prayer uh, for this very purpose of, of getting ready, of being prepared for what God was going to do Next, the advancement of the gospel began in a united community. Church, come together. Not to, don't just come together, hanging out with each other and having meals together, but come together in prayer. Let's pray the same thing together, shall we? God, use us. God, speak to us. God, prepare us. God, get sin out of us. Get unbelief and doubt out of us. God, disciple us. Let's pray that together. God, we seek your face. We seek your will. You're going to find out that Jesus is going to clarify how you find God's will for your life if you really are that devotee to his kingdom. Prayer not only brings answers, it brings unity. And where there's unity, unity brings resolve. I can still remember many times that I was just devoted to God in prayer with a handful of other people, whether it was at noon prayer in college, whether it was praying at 6 a.m. at my church back in Charlotte, North Carolina, just coming out of college, whether it was praying together with my group of men that, that I hang with, whether it's praying with my accountability partner, I become more convinced and more resolved because I have the share of another brother's or another sister's passion right there that agrees with God, agrees with his word, and is being led by his spirit, and I become resolved. And how thrilled am I that sometimes that happens right in my family. It happens talking about Jesus with my wife, with my sons, with my daughter. Haven't really talked about it with the dog yet, but maybe I'll get there. United in prayer and unity that brings resolve. It happened when God's people were so devoted to God that to get together they said the same things, they prayed the same things, they sought the same things. It happened when they collectively yielded to God in prayer, not telling God what to do, but asking God what he wanted to do. Come on, church, let's see God's face together. Let's say, God, what do you want from us?
You say you want to do something big. You say that you're motivated already by the message thus far. Then get with the church. Get with other sincere followers of Jesus Christ that will agree with you that your life can be overturned. Your life can be upended. It's okay if Jesus stakes a total claim upon your life. It's okay for you to say, my life belongs to Jesus. They not only agree, they'll rejoice with you. Get with the church. Get together. If you're not together, living together in community where you can trust people to pray with you and for you and they can trust you to pray with and for them, that you can seek the word of God together with them. Get into it. Group link is being offered today at 12 o'clock. Even if you're not signed up, go. Go. Explore the possibility of getting united to your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what the first followers of Jesus did. They united in prayer. Unite with people who want to be all about God's kingdom. Third thing that happened is they sought God's will in God's word. They sought God's will in God's word. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And it will go on to explain how they're going to have to pick a replacement to make that 12th disciple because Jesus had picked 12. They wanted to follow in Jesus's footsteps, all right? Because casting lots used to be the way that they did things in the Old Testament to determine things, to determine God's will. They did that. Realize they do not yet have the Holy Spirit. The casting of lots will go away as soon as these people have the Holy Spirit and they can be internally led by Jesus. Author Stephen Coley explains it this way. The point is that the apostles were men of the word who were appealing to the word to explain the difficulty of Judas's defection and death and of the need to replace him with another credible witness. So they teach us that we should go to God's word with all the difficulties that we encounter. God's word gives us the answers for God's will in our lives. And hear this church, the will of God agrees with the word of God. The will of God agrees with the word of God. We keep going somewhere else looking for agreement with our will so that we can call it the will of God when truly the word of God agrees with the will of God. Revival comes through seeking prayer and when we seek God in the scripture. When we begin to say, this word is speaking to me, My God is directly, with the help of God's Spirit, is speaking to me through the Word, is speaking to me in prayer. And then I begin to seek from a new faith that says, I've got to join God. I've got to please God. I've got to give my life to God. And I suddenly have the heart of a God-pleaser. And when I have the heart of a God-pleaser, suddenly the will of God is very easy to recognize. And do you have that heart of a God-pleaser here this morning? Jesus, when he was challenged about talking for God and speaking up for God, he gets challenged by religious leaders at the temple, and the Jews were marveling at what he said. So it says in John 7, verses 14 to 18, at about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but his who sent me. He's saying, hey, look, I'm telling you what the will of God is because I'm giving you the word of God that comes directly from my father. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. 
The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So Jesus gives us two very important, very important principles in seeking the will of God. If you want what you want, you're not going to hear the word of God. You're going to speak on your own authority. If you want what you want, if your will is your will and it's not God's, that's the way it's going to be. But if you want to hear God's will, it comes from the Father, and the Father gives you his word. The will of God is found in the word of God for our lives. These disciples would be shaped by Scripture as they finally then prepared to be witnesses. They prepared to be witnesses. They obeyed Jesus' commands. They united in prayer. They sought the Word of God for the will of God, and they prepared to be witnesses. It says in the Scripture, these first followers of Jesus, they did not have, they did not have yet the Spirit promised in Acts chapter 2, but they were convinced that God was leading them, and they walked by faith to prepare for their role in this and changing this world. That's what happened. They were already convinced that God was changing things. They had to move and stay, stay in step with Jesus. They had to be convinced that God's plan unfolding in front of them was better than any life that they could chart for themselves. Church, what did they do? They obeyed the commands of Jesus. They united in prayer. They sought God's word to determine God's will for their lives. And then they got ready. They prepared. They made decisions. They, they did cast the lots. They chose that 12th individual. They got their lives in line. What is God calling you to do? You know it. You know it right now. God is listening on the podcast. What do you know right now God is calling you to do to prepare to be used for his kingdom purposes? What do you know? Do you have sin in your life? Do you know that there's an area of your life where God is displeased and you're holding on to that because you love that sin more than you love to please God? Ask God for holy desire. Ask God for holy desire right now. Is there the stubbornness of unbelief where you've told yourself, I, I'm not as important to the kingdom of God as anyone else? What is it that's holding you back? Let me take it to our neighborhoods just for a moment. Pastor, you can come and lead us in follow-up worship. Do I believe that God is calling me to be his witness? Do I believe that? Do you see in there, and John Piper, I told you last week, he said, I see right in there the entire church of Jesus Christ until he returns again because the scripture says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He was talking about Zealand. He was talking about everywhere. Do you believe that God is calling you to be a witness? Am I a gospel-centered person? Am I that person that wakes up each morning and says, you know what, my job is to live for Jesus as a worshiper of God. Have you asked yourself the question this month? If God told me to go somewhere else, to leave this place and go somewhere, would I go? What would I do for Jesus? What are my marching papers? If a sincere Christian who really wanted to be pleasing to God simply sat down with you and he asked, what is God calling you to 
right now. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot, but I know where he's calling you. Where's he calling you? He's calling you back to Colorado, right? He's calling you back to serve where you served all summer long. And you know that, you're convinced of that. You're not ashamed to tell that to anyone because you know, you know that you know that God is calling you to it. There is no more dangerous place to be and no more bold place to be than in the will of God. What is God calling you to right now? Would you have an answer for that sincere Christian? How about the next question? What's God doing in you right now? What would you say? Again, to that sincere believer who really wants the best for you. Would you iron that out and be able to explain that to someone? There is a fight for territory going on in my front yard right now. The squirrels came back like Boom, they just showed up about three weeks ago and they're incredibly busy. And they literally, we, I watched one of them do this, okay? My dog chased one of them up a tree and the squirrel went up to one of the, one of the branches about 15 feet up and started snapping off sticks and throwing sticks down at us, okay, on the ground, all right? And my dog runs out there and says, this is my territory, get back up in your tree, right? And so my dog, even to just make a little bit more of a statement to those squirrels, he eats up some of their nuts and just spits all the vomit just right back out onto the ground. And there's going to be this battle for territory. It seems like it happens right about now every year, and the squirrels really get bit busy. Has Jesus staked a claim on you? Has he staked a claim? Do you know that you know that you know exactly what your purpose for and what he wants you to do? And are you getting ready? Do I believe that God is calling me to be his witness? Do I see how critical my discipleship is to the kingdom of God? What are you waiting for? And thirdly, what am I doing to prepare for Jesus to work through me? What if you took these three questions home this week and you prayed through them? What if you took them to your adult life class or to your small group or your women's study or men's group and you talked through them again as well? Aren't they, aren't they critical questions? And aren't they at the heart of why Jesus came, why Jesus died, why Jesus rose, and why Jesus left? They are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak, speak. Conform us to the image of your Son. Consecrate us, Father. Build in us a desire to trust and to obey. God, call. Call all around the room. Rout unbelief, stubbornness, and love of sin, love of convenience, and make us dangerous and bold people in the will of God. Give us burdens for lost people. Take us in our Jerusalem everywhere and show us people that need Jesus and challenge us to get ready to go through the power of your spirit to those people. Disciple us, Father. Build up our community here. Unite us in prayer. Lord, do an incredible work in us. Let us see that what you want to do in us and through us is as glorious as what Jesus did for us. Let us believe it by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.